Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash W-A-N-T-P-O-W-E-R. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubell, MD, episode number 201. Welcome to Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, the podcast where busy doctors like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the weight so you can feel better and have the life you want. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food, you're in the right place. Well, hey there, my friend. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy that you are here. How are you doing? (laughs) How are you settling in to life? We've got American Thanksgiving next week. I know that in other areas of the world, there are other holidays that are happening and have already happened. There's just a lot going on in the world. And I'm so, so pleased to today be able to bring you another weight loss success story because often when life feels crazy, we think that things aren't possible for us. And when we start seeing that other people totally create amazing things for themselves, even when life is crazy, even when all the things happen, it starts to give us some sense of hope, right? Maybe we can figure this out. Maybe we really can do this. And today you're going to be getting such a great story from Melinda Rathkopf. She is an allergist in Alaska of all places. So amazing. I can't tell you how many times I've coached her and she's been like camping somewhere and there's the most amazing (laughs) nature backdrop. I'm like, hold on a second. Where are you? (laughs) Why are you living such a good life? (laughs) Living out in nature. She's super lucky in that way. She is, as I said, an amazing allergist. She is really coming from a very unique background. She was in the military for a long time and struggled with her weight. And I know that she is not alone in having those same issues of having to do some extensive weight loss dieting tactics in order to make weight for the military, then gaining it back again and having children and then trying to lose that weight and then 
coming out of the military and sorting herself out after that. She's now, as we currently speak, in the beginning stages of being an empty nester, as I think some, I think that's still okay to call people that. <laughs> Basically, her children have now, have now left to go on their own. And so all the changes that come with that. And so she's got a really interesting perspective, just a really, really awesome, great person. And I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation that I had with Melinda. So please listen in and enjoy. All right, Melinda, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I am so happy to have you here. I would love it if you would just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, where you live, what you do, just a little background. Okay. So uh, my name is Melinda and I am currently living in Alaska and I'm in private practice as an allergist immunologist and uh, trained before that as a pediatrician. I grew up in the deep South. So I grew up where food was love and comfort and family have really always kind of struggled with my weight. So I was the chubby one growing up in my family. I have two blonde haired, blue eyed sisters who were one was an actual swimsuit model and a Hooters girl, but neither ever had trouble with their weight. And I was just the chubby one. I was the youngest and I was the chubby one growing up. So I kind of always identified with being overweight and that kind of being who I was. Probably lost my first significant amount of weight in high school. And I don't really recall what the trigger was or what the motivation was. You know, it might've been a boy, just in general, it might've been caring about my looks. But I do recall, you know, successfully losing weight in high school and and even like a teacher commenting about, you know, oh, I can tell you've lost weight, maybe you've lost enough weight. But it really wasn't until college that, you know, I put on the freshman, it was probably more than 15, whatever you want to call it. But I put on the weight as a freshman because you could pick up a phone and they would deliver food right to you, you know, and I had that first credit card. And so definitely put on weight. And then it wasn't till later in college when I was looking at going to medical school and ways to pay for medical school that I decided I wanted to join the military and do a military scholarship. I had worked my way through college myself and really had no financial way to, to pay for medical school. And uh, the idea of loans was overwhelming at that time because I'd never known anyone to take out school loans. And and I remember Should I walked into a for one second, like think yes. about the contrast to what it's like now, where like the oh, average right. person leaving medical school has like a quarter of a million dollars worth of debt. Just like- Isn't standard. that amazing? And yeah. and if I was applying now, I wouldn't think twice because it's the yeah. norm to you know have yeah. the loans and stuff. But I actually made it through all of undergrad and med school without ever taking an educational loan. Wow. But I joined the military. Yeah. So I just Were you, Had you sold, ever been interested in the military before that? I'm just curious. I had not. No, I did not grow up. I mean, of course, my, my father served and my stepfather served, you know, their required couple of years each, but did not grow up around anyone in the military. We had invited the recruiters to speak at our pre-medical student association. We had a branch of the American Medical Student Association at our college that I helped start. And so we had them come and talk. So I met with a recruiter. And the first thing he said was, go lose 20 pounds. And if you can do that, come back and talk to me. <laughs> so and so that... that like day one. <laughs> exactly. It was immediately about the weight again. And I was now being labeled, you know, I, I'd, I'd been away from home for quite a few years at that point. So now I was kind of relabeled as the chubby one. 
But I think it was the first time that my weight could be keeping me from something I wanted to get. You know, at, at that point, you know, in college and, and right before med school, we were all kind of used to getting what we wanted if we worked hard enough, you know. Yeah. And so it was kind of the first thing of, oh, my weight could prevent me from being able to do something I want to do. So went on some not so good crash diets. What was the time frame? Like you needed to lose 25 pounds in how Gosh. long? I think I probably did it within a month or two because it was oh a pretty God. strict yeah. timeline applying before, you know, I had to apply through the recruiter for the program around the same time. So this was probably spring of my junior year yeah, where with the intent of what applying in fall of our summer yeah. and fall of the, the last year of college. So I remember eating next to nothing. I mean, I remember eating oranges and celery for lunch. I was probably burning more calories at the gym than I was consuming and eating very little, but it worked, right? It worked short term. And, well, and when you're um, that so young, I, I just, your body, your body's like, okay, fine, yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> right? Then we get exactly. older, our minds are like, ah, that's funny. Try it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. So at that time, it set up this pattern of, oh, I could just crash diet and lose the weight. And, yeah. and I, I did. I joined the Air Force on a health profession scholarship program. And that's one where I didn't go to a military medical school. I went to a civilian medical school. And so during medical school, you're considered a reservist. So you have to do, you don't have to do the weekend duty. You're, you know, I was the same as every other student in my class, but you had to do the one month every year rotation at the military. And so they were still clinical rotations. They were just, we were considered active duty that month. We were in uniform and we were at a military medical facility, but you had to weigh in that month every year. So there's now a weight requirement, not just to get in, but to maintain it. So I would do the cycle of crash diet the two months before I had to weigh in. And then I would gain it all back over the, the next, you know, 10 to 11 months. Yeah. And so I did that throughout medical school. The upper limit, is it based on BMI or something or they just have their own chart? No, I think it is BMI because looking at it now, I've just reached that military weight, which is what I kind of initially said as a weight goal in this program, because that's what's been ingrained in my head for all those years. And it's at the top range of my BMI. So I think you have to be in a normal BMI range, but they use a combination and it changes a little throughout the year, but there used to be a bike test. Now it's like push-ups, sit-ups, abdominal girth and weight. But I've been out now for 14 years. So I've been out longer than I was in, but uh so that kind of started the yo-yo school. dieting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and then so and I would lose the weight for that one month every year. And then even as a resident, you know, struggled. I got married while I was in medical school. So my husband and I've been married 26 years now and got married while I was in medical school and just continued to kind of do the the weight fluctuation. So even as a resident, it would go up and down. I knew when I had to weigh, I knew when I had to do my fitness test and I would just kind of squeak by. I do remember when I went to my program director to tell him I'd been put on a medical profile and uh, his first words out of his mouth were, oh, is it for your weight? <laughs> and I said, no, it's because I'm pregnant. But, you know, definitely that, that made me think that he's noticed my weight is up. And if I had to weigh in today, I would have been put on a medical profile. So I just got pregnant. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Solve that you're problem not right there. there. Exactly. <laughs> First that I had this baby to deal with, but anyway. So that just kind of set up, you know, and trying all the diets, you know, I, I think most of us in this program have tried, whether it was Jenny Craig, it was Weight Watchers. I literally made my weight goal in Weight Watchers the week I found out I was pregnant. 
with my second one, I think. But anyway, so the weight just continued in Nutrisystem. Yeah. Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, did all of that and continued that pattern. When I got out of the military, I always joke, when you get out of the military, all the men grow mustaches and beards and grow their hair. And I just put on weight. <laughs> right. Um, <and> <laughs> right, right. And just kind of continued that pattern really yeah. for decades. Yeah. And so, so why did you leave the military? I had just finished my payback time and it came down to, you know, being in a small specialty. So I did, I did my pediatric residency and then I was a general pediatrician for a couple of years. And then I applied for fellowship in allergy immunology, got accepted into that program. And when I finished up my fellowship training, I still had a couple of years I owed the Air Force and I stayed at the fellowship training program. So initially I thought I would stay until retirement I was on a track to be the program director there. And then there's kind of the, the whole separation of then met with the assignments officer, who's just the military person who decides where you are going. And GME doesn't factor into that. Continuity doesn't factor. And they said, nope, you'd be able to stay here maybe two years, then you'd have to move. And so it was kind of the idea of, well, let me look outside the military, see what opportunities there are, and then I can make a better decision. And there was a lot of restructuring going on in the military, graduate medical education at that time. And I just decided it was time to get out. So I had finished my payback. And so I could get out. So I did. Yeah. Now, is that when you moved to Alaska? It is. So I was never stationed up here, but the practice I joined was founded by an Air Force physician. And at that time, there were two doctors that were partners and I joined them. So I knew them both from the Air Force. So although I was never stationed in Alaska, it was a military connection that brought me up here. So we moved up here 14 years ago now, and I was on terminal leave from the military. So finishing up my last month or so, we moved up here. And then we've, uh, we just decided it boiled down to uh, why not try Alaska? We know how to move. And we just kind of looked at it that way. My husband actually said I had this whole pro con list, what job to take. It was going to be between here and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And my husband just said, okay, in five years, will we say, man, we should have moved to Alaska or will we say, man, we should have moved to Philadelphia. So here we are. Here you are. It's still there. Well, it's yeah. just so interesting, especially coming from the deep South, right? It's like massive contrast in a lot yeah. of ways for her. <laughs> and my husband's from Florida. So he, uh, we met in college actually. So we met at Georgia Tech and uh, met in the band. We were in the marching band in college. And uh, so he had never lived anywhere North of Atlanta until uh, we moved here. <laughs> so. That's so interesting. That's super cool. Okay. So then now you're in private practice. You've got a family. You're not in the military anymore. You don't have anybody breathing down your neck to lose weight. And what was happening then? So, you know, it still obviously bothered me. And I wanted to set a good example for my girls. And I didn't want that whole, I have two girls. So they are now 21 and 18. But I wanted to be a good example to my girls growing up about dietary choices and body images and self-esteem. And so I wanted to be thinner. You know, I initially, I really rebelled against exercise and fitness because it was required in the, in the military. So when I got out, I didn't want to initially do that. But then I learned to find what I enjoyed and embrace that. And so I just wanted, I, for myself at that time, I wanted to be thinner. I like the way I felt in a thinner body. I like the energy and all of that. So mm-hmm. I continued to yo-yo diet. Yeah. Even for the last, so- you know. Yeah, until you found weight loss for doctors only, pretty yes, much, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So then where were you at when you decided to sign up? Like, where were you in terms of your, like, headspace? Tired. Tired of <laughs> yo-yo dieting. I mean, and it's like, I know I know how to lose weight. 
I've, I've shown that, you know, it's, I don't know how to maintain the weight loss. And so really looking for something that worked on how to maintain the weight loss without it being some weird, bizarre thing, or, you know, in impacting my family expecting, and my husband does. So my husband was an at-home dad for most of our daughter's time growing up here in the home. He works now part-time. He's a substitute school teacher. So he does most of the cooking and he's not a planner. So trying to find a balance of, you know, I'm, I'm sure he would roll his eyes every time. My perception was that he would roll his eyes every time <laughs> I brought up some new fat diet or what I'm eating today, what I'm not eating today, that type of thing. So trying to find something that I could do and maintain mentally and in yeah. actuality. So what was attractive? Like, I'm just so curious, like what made you go, you know what, like, I'm going to try this. You know, I think someone introduced me to your podcast. I think it was in the Alaska Women's Physician Group, which was formerly our PMG group. Someone had posted because people were talking about nutrition or I don't know if the word diet's the right, but something came up in a post and someone had posted yours. And I I have about a 30 minute commute. So podcasts are great. I'd listen to them on my commute. So I started listening to your podcast and went back and started at the beginning. So I would listen to the current one, but then had it would go back and listen to the from day one. And it just really struck me. I think I bonded with you immediately as a, a female pediatrician. So I think that helped. I don't know if you were a, a female surgeon, but I bonded as quickly, but I kind of thought, oh, wow. you know. And, and you told your story in some of those early ones. And I thought, oh, she did this too. She's been through this. And, you know, you're a mom and you're a pediatrician. And so it really did. It just kind of clicked that I thought this is going to be, this is going to work for me better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you decided to sign up and then let's just talk about what your journey has been like in this process. Yeah. So, so I probably started listening to the podcast the summer of 2018 and then you know, listened for a couple of months before deciding. And I think it was that for that Christmas, you came out with the, have your loved one gift you. Oh yeah. Did you the, buy the one coaching. of you guys got one of the gifts? Yeah. I did. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't know that was uh, you. Because, because definitely my, my husband's the type who he will get me anything I ask for, do anything I ask, but he's not usually going to figure out on his own what I want. And I (laughs) need to quit expecting him to read my mind. So I literally sent him the link and said, you know, I would like to do this. And uh, and it was never a matter of, of should you, is that too much money? He's always been, you know, you're the one working the most and it's your money. And if this is important to you, he's always been supportive of that. I think he had issues trying to sign up. So he actually ended up having to call and talk to your assistant (laughs) who turned out her parents used to live in Eagle River, Alaska, which is where we live. So kind of that connection was made then too. And uh, so it was a Christmas gift for Christmas of 2018. So then you started in January. And I started in January. Yeah. And so I, and I had done Mel Robbins to this mindset reset that January also, which actually worked out perfect because it was about three or four weeks. So it kind of filled that early January. So I had the motivation of New Year's and I kind of did her little mindset reset and did the preparing for for Waldo, because you gave out tips, you know, as early as Christmas, New Year's. And I had already read the obesity code and that really clicked with me. So the fact that you recommended that, I reread that again, right before starting. And I think the fact that, again, it's another thing that I thought, oh, this program's going to work because that book really resonated and changed my outlook on dieting, on weight loss. So I knew that there was another thing that would resonate with me. 
the weight just fell off and you never, ever had a problem ever again, right? (laughs) No, not at all, right? Because that's all it's about, right? Uh, Once you sign up for life coaching, you never have a problem ever again. No. Okay. So, so what was the experience like? Like, how did it go? You know, I think, so I wanted to jump in, you know, I wanted to jump in on Christmas, right? Or as soon as I knew that I was going to get it. So it was a little bit about rein yourself in, you know, you got to approach this differently to make it work long-term. So, you know, I've always been a rule follower. I think it's, whether it's a people-pleasing thing or it's the military or it's what attracted me to the military. But so I worked really well with these are the assignments and this is what you're, you're going to do each month and setting that up you know, looking at the food protocol, trying to, to find something that would work. It just, it was, it was not to scare anyone away. I don't think it was overly regimented, but it was regimented enough to make it fit into a program that I could do. Yeah. And that appealed to me. It's like, but yet enough flexibility. Own, yeah, exactly. It's like figuring out what your own boundaries are based on your own life. Like some people are going to want to have more boundaries, others less. Like you can, create that to work for your life, which is the whole point. Cause then you're so much more likely to follow it when you've created it. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what kind of blew me away too about the food protocol when you're like, well, it's really what you want. You know, it's your protocol. You put on there what you want because this Georgia girl's not giving up her grits. So grits have been on my protocol <laughs> from day one because in my yeah. mind, grits are not flour. So I, you know, and that's, so they're yeah. on my protocol and there are other things that, that are not on my protocol because they don't work for me, even though they could be. So I think that kind of too is that the only one I'm accountable to is, is myself. And so really building that I need to have the respect for myself and the dedication to do it for myself. Because at the end of the day, that's the only way it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. So as you were going through this whole like discovery kind of period, which is really what it is, right? Where we start realizing, well, why do I eat too much food? You know, and like, why do I sometimes drink more alcohol than, you know, I'd like to and things like that? Like, what kinds of things did you discover? That I am very much an emotional eater. You know, I eat to, to feel better. I eat to cover up feeling you know, there's certain things. I mean, even I was, you know, thinking about it earlier today, comfort food. Well, what does that mean? You know, and uh, that's, that's good comfort food or, you know, and how many times do we say, oh, it's been a rough day. I need to have a glass of wine or, or having unwinding at the end of the day, that type of thing and using food and alcohol to do that. I think that was the biggest realization is if you really just boil down to food as fuel for my body and I only need X amount to fuel my body and everything else I don't need and kind of coming, you know, that's been, that's been months and months, you know, that didn't happen in month one, but it set up the base for that to happen and realizing that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have spent a lot of time too, with just various relationships. And I mean, which is like, I don't know anybody who doesn't have to do that work in some way, shape or form, because we all interact with other humans. And that's, you know, oftentimes some of our biggest struggles in our lives are because of the other humans, right? <laughs> yeah. So I know you've done a ton of work on relationships. What would you, you know, could you speak to that a little bit and just, you know, how you've seen yourself change? You know, and it's interesting that you asked that because I think if you had ever sold this program as a relationship builder or, you know, working, I don't think I would ever sign up for it, of course. But really, it's probably the biggest thing that's come out of this. I mean, the weight loss has been great. And, you know, I have, I guess we haven't really said that, but I have lost over 50 pounds. I have about 15 or 20 more to go, but it's really been about the relationship. And, 
you know, I think it has saved so many of my relationships. I don't, I don't know if I would go as far as say it saved my marriage, but it definitely made my marriage better. And working on my relationship with my husband, some of the other big transitions in my life that I know we'll talk a little bit more about, but I took over the practice I'm with has been open for over 20 years now, 21 years. And the founding partner is semi-retired and stepped down as the director. And I took over as director around the same time I started this program. So took on this big new model at work that definitely changed the relationship. My two partners are two of the closest friends. We all did residency. One's internal medicine and the other's a pediatrician also, but we all did residency in the same place at the same time, you know, 20 years ago in Mississippi. And, you know, never would have thought we'd be partners in Alaska together, but we are. But we had to change those relationships because I'm not just now friends and partner, but I'm also now the director my relationships with my daughters. So both my daughters are now out of the house and are in college. And so relationships has been really interesting. And I never would have thought would have come out of this work, but it it does. And it's been really helpful. So the same thought model and the way we work on the weight loss has really helped me in my life with relationships. And I think what blew me away the most was a comment you made, and I, you know, feel free to correct if I don't say this correctly, that it only takes one person to have a good relationship. You know, how, how my relationship is with my husband, my daughters, my coworkers, even my patients is all in my mind. It's all my thoughts and how I interpret it, how I respond, how I react. And that's a concept that, that took a long time to build in the program, but it's been invaluable. It's, it's been worth everything. Even if I weighed more at the end of this program than I did at the beginning, which I don't. And I won't, <laughs> but it still would be would be so worth it because there are people that go through and don't lose a lot of weight, don't choose to lose a lot of weight, but they work on other things. And I think that's something that I never thought when I signed up for this, yeah. that it would be about relationships and thoughts and my relationship with myself. Yeah. That, that actually right. is probably the most important. When we have people who sign up, they're like, listen, I guess if I have to lose a couple of pounds, I will. But what I really want to do is work on my marriage or like whatever it is, right? Not everybody necessarily has a lot of weight that they want to lose or even wants to focus on that too much. Or they're like, I don't have a lot of weight to lose, but I really need to straighten my mind out around food. Like we really have the whole gamut, right? We have people who have a hundred plus pounds to lose down to, you know, not really that much. And you know what, what I always tell you guys too, is like, even if you don't have that much weight to lose, or you lose it very quickly, like there's still work you have to do on your brain. So you can do it at maintenance or you can do it while you're losing, or you can do it first and then lose your weight, but you can't skip that part. So it doesn't really matter, right? Like how much weight you have to lose because there's this other part that you have to do. So, and I think I started with some weight loss, you know, because that gave me the positive feedback, the affirmation that this is working. And then, and I don't even like the word plateau because it's not really accurate, but then we kind of made other things more important and have really put the relationships and the thought work. And then Mm -hmm. I can't imagine going through the last six months of what we've gone through as a world, as a nation, as a physician, as a business owner, as a mom without this work. So this yeah. has been invaluable so talk, yes, speak during that. COVID. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yes. You know, so it's been really, really challenging. And I'm sure, you know, everyone can identify during COVID. And, and we may be a little unique in Alaska because, you know, one of my favorite memes shows Alaska and the, the rest of the United States, which we call the lower 48. And, you know, Alaska has been socially distancing since 1959. <laughs> and uh, so everything's a little delayed here. So we could almost like see it coming. 
And I, I drew an analogy, I think when you and I were coaching before on when I lived in Mississippi during residency and we knew a hurricane was coming and the slow moving hurricane was coming our way and it was huge, but it was far enough away that we had days to prepare and just kind of that pending, you know, it's coming, we can't stop it. We have zero control. So how can we prepare? And we kind of had that here with COVID. We shut down as a state before we even had a single positive case. But unfortunately, because of spring break, you know, it wasn't that long after spring break that it hit here. And Seattle's our backyard. I mean, you almost can't get a flight in and out of Alaska that doesn't go through Seattle. So since Washington State and the Seattle area had it so bad, we knew it was just a matter of time. But it was kind of this slow moving thing coming our way and we were able to prepare. But having to balance preparing my family you know, personally, emotionally, as a parent at that time, only my oldest was out of state in college. And I did convince her just fly home. Let's just get a one-way ticket, get your cat, come home. And she did. And uh, my husband and youngest had traveled for spring break to look at colleges. And it was even just that week, you know, when they left, it, it was, we knew it was coming. It was there. We're like, be careful. But we didn't even question them, yeah. them going on the trip. We didn't even question. And I know you had something out of state around that kind of that mm-hmm. same time too, travel. Right and, before um, it was like shut yeah. down. I was just like, are we okay? I don't know what's <laughs> happening right now. <laughs> but I remember on the, the trip back, I remember telling my husband, I'm like, tell her not to touch anything at the airport. Tell her to put her hands in her pocket. Did you get hand sanitizer? You know, because she left yeah. here without a mask, without hand sanitizer. Yeah. It all kind of hit at that time. And when my oldest came home and my my husband and youngest came back, I actually moved out of the house for two weeks because, you know, I needed to protect myself. I felt for work for patients. So as a business owner, so my practice is five physicians, two PAs and a nurse practitioner. And I probably have about, we have about 45 employees. So it's a fairly, you know, significant size for a single specialty private practice. And we never closed completely. We felt allergy shots going into the spring was something that if we could keep people healthy and keep their allergy shots going, that would keep them out of the ER and stuff. And we also have an infusion center for our immune deficient patients. But we had to balance having highly vulnerable at-risk patients in the office versus having, you know, all the other people coming in for allergy shots. So that was, that role changed completely. And I, I had to do a lot of work on my primitive brain telling me, well, yeah, you signed up to be the new medical director and that was going to be a hard enough transition, but you never signed up for being the medical director during a pandemic. And there's no playbook for this, right? You know, no one can, all the training and I did some leadership transition training for taking over as the medical director. None of it covered what to do during a pandemic. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, so it was a, it was a lot of struggle. I think one thing I thought that was interesting during this time, I felt like I didn't deserve the accolades and the pat on the back and the hero worship that a lot of providers were getting on the front lines. You know, I'm not in the ICU. I'm not in the ER. My sister's a respiratory therapist in downtown Atlanta. I mean, she is in the trenches, you know, and she has been since March. And that that's not me. We are actively screening out COVID positive patients if we can. We're trying to keep the office open. But yet I'm also not in that, oh, I got to work from home and I got to spend extra time with my kids and I got to do all this. I was still going to the office every single day, 11 hours a day. And so I kind of felt like I was in this weird in between. Yeah. And not sure how to identify with that. Well, you also had some struggles, like you had been involved in planning like a big meeting too, right? That all got canceled. And then we had, of course, our master's live event that was canceled. Like you had a whole bunch of things planned and you were 
displeased, we might say. Yes, <laughs> a lot of grief over that. And it was hard to admit because every time you want to kind of be upset about it, it was like, well, but I'm so fortunate. I'm not sick. I don't have COVID. So there was a lot of grief. I think I canceled now 10 trips since March. You know, one thing as, as a new empty nester, my husband was like, you know, once the kids are gone, I'm going to start going to all these meetings. So I'm very active nationally in our national professional organizations. And I even this year was my first year I was going to be lecturing for the World Allergy Association. And I had trips planned international. I had a, you know, been asked about going to Malaysia and doing a lecture, wow. things like that. And so all of that got canceled. And one of them, you know, one was actually late February, early March was to a, one of our national meetings and it got canceled on 48 hours notice. That was, we were one of the first meetings to cancel back in the spring or late winter. And so, yeah, there was a lot of grief over that and had to deal with that. And then even regionally this past weekend, I'm on a staycation this week because this past weekend was going to be our big regional conference that I was in charge of. And then I was going to go to Hawaii for vacation right after. <laughs> and neither of those happened. So all yeah. the work that went into that and the yeah. loss that came from, from dealing really, with that. It is grief. That's what we coached yeah. on, right? Like it's okay to let yourself be sad and you don't have to brush it under the rug by being like, yeah, but like I'm healthy and my family's healthy and we're okay. You know, like, like, you know what I mean? Like I shouldn't be feeling this bad. Like, but if you really are feeling that way, right, you put a whole bunch of time and effort and planning into things and then it gets canceled. Like it's okay to feel sad about it, knowing that at any point when you're ready to feel differently, you can, and you can move past it, but yeah. letting yourself stay in that and, and stopping thinking that you shouldn't be feeling the way you're feeling because you are, that's how you're feeling. Now, let me ask you this. So in Alaska, you know, we can might agree that it's a long winter. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. And so, so you often, I mean, a lot of people in Alaska like to go to warm other places just because you mentioned Hawaii, right. To like have a break. So, what are your thoughts about the winter coming up and how you're going to, you know, manage your brain about being home a lot? I like being home and I've been doing a lot of projects and, and we we get out. I mean, I if you have to be locked into a state, I, I think what's different here is we really are locked in. My husband was going to drive our youngest to, she's at uh, Auburn University in Alabama, and he was going to drive with her so she'd have a car down there. And luckily, my parents are really close to her. So we're actually going to leave the car with my parents. They have it as an extra car, but it's near her. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't. Canada would not let him drive. Yeah. They would have let her, but I'm not letting my 18-year-old drive the Alcan <laughs> by herself. But he was not considered an essential essential traveler. She She was since she was going to school. So that got changed and he ended up flying and taking her to school. But we still have, I mean, even as of today, when we're doing this, a 14 day quarantine, if you come back into the state. So I can't, if I wanted to go and even visit her, if I, I didn't move my daughter into college, because if I had gone down and moved her in, it would be an extra two weeks after I came back before I could go back to work of quarantining. So I'm not sure if, you know, not to get political, but I never thought when a a wall was being built that we'd all be stuck inside it. And so a lot of thoughts on, you know, no one wants us, right? We, the last two summers, I, we went to Europe for the first time ever. I'd never been to Europe till two summers ago. I bought a Volvo and went to Sweden to get it, and uh, which is an amazing whole nother story, but that is doable. But, you know, and, and we would have gone back this year. We would have done the big senior trip to Disney. So it's it's hard because I didn't get to do those trips and didn't get to do that. And I think the hardest is knowing, so my 
my oldest, I mentioned, came home around spring break and stayed home for three months. And about June, she just had enough. She turned 21 in May. You know, she wanted to get back. She had an apartment down there. So it's not like she was living in the dorm. She had an apartment. We were, she was still paying for her friends were still there because most of them lived near the school or lived in the state and could drive. And so she went back down there and she went back in June and I won't see her now till Christmas. I can't go visit her. I could, but it would require an extra, you know, and even my youngest who went back, who went down in August, she's not going to be home till Thanksgiving. So really it, it is harder going into the winter knowing I didn't get to revitalize myself and, and experience these other things. But Alaska is an amazing place. I did more camping this year than yeah. I ever have. And uh, we How have an RV. I coached you and you're like literally in the, RV. in the most beautiful place. I'm like, what the <laughs> heck? Where are you? I need to be there immediately. It's so pretty. You're like, we're camping. <laughs> it is. But actually, I just, just got back from camping earlier this week. We camped in Denali this year, which, oh, you know, I've been nice. here 14 years and I visited Denali National Park, but we've never actually camped in the in the park. And so we camped there this year. So we've had a lot of amazing opportunities and time to do that. But yeah, you know, is it going to make it harder the winter and being here and not being able to travel, you know, hoping I just rebooked what this should have been my Hawaii vacation this week. So I rebooked it for February, keeping my fingers crossed and and we'll see if it happens. It's kind of nice to plan a vacation. Yeah. Well, it's like, this is the year to get into like snowshoeing, cross-country skiing. Like if you don't already, you know, like all the, the kind of snow, winter snow sports. Just to, and I like, think Alaskans are good about, we joke about, we don't hunker down because it's too long to hunker down. We embrace the winter. So I do, I have a fat bike. I ride. So I do bike riding. I don't ski. I've tried multiple times. I'm not a skier, not but, but I ride, I ride a bike and uh, I have a fat bike that has studs on it so I can ride uh-huh. in the snow and can ride outside year round. And, so. and by saying fat bike, that doesn't mean a bike for fat people. Tell people what that is. A fat tire bike. So yeah. it's a it's a bike. Really, really, really big, wide, big ones. Really big tires. <laughs> they have studs on them for for gri- gripping the and you do a low pressure. Yeah, actually a friend gave me a t-shirt and it said, Do these tires make my bike look fat? <laughs> it was a picture of a fat bike. Very cute. So let's let's just transition a little bit to talking more about okay. camping too, because you know, camping, it's like you're outside, you're you know, in this beautiful place, you know, often with friends hanging out, like what else are you going to do? You're going to eat and drink usually. Right. And so that's something that you've put a lot of time and effort into is like figuring out how to have a lot of fun, be away, be camping and still, you know, honor the plan that you've created for yourself. So I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit. That probably has been and still is probably my biggest struggle with my protocol. You know, it's I'm really regimented during the week. On Sunday, I fix my lunches for the whole week and I eat the same thing every day. And I have zero problem with that. You know, maybe by Thursday, Friday, I'm getting tired of it, but I eat it. And even planning meals during the week for dinner with my husband, you know, we're really regimented. But the two places I struggle the most is is camping in the RV. And then we actually have a, a condo in one of the ski resorts that's about an hour drive away. And I, I kind of joke, that's my happy place. That's where I quarantined away from my family for two weeks because I can commute. Work is between my home and that place. So I can commute from there. But that place has minimal food and it's always stocked with coffee and beer and wine. Because we drink coffee when we get up and then we, you know, if we're going to do food, there's restaurants down there and stuff. And then it's, it's about, it's a very social place in my mind. And that always has a glass of wine or a beer. There's a little brewery tap room down there. That's a local brew pub kind of thing. 
So really working on protocols for those places and working on protocols for camping have been hard and challenging. So I really just try to, I did special events and travel planning. Mm-hmm. And and I have a separate protocol for when I'm camping and planning the meals and allowing, you know, an exception meal or a joy eat. Almost all my exception meal or joy eats are around being in one of those two places. And I save them for those events. And mm-hmm. and I can tell when, you know, or, or just expecting I'm choosing to do this. It's off protocol. I know the scale will go up a few pounds, but to me, it's worth it. And it'll come back down mm-hmm. kind exactly. of thing. But really trying to work on the food protocol and the alcohol well, protocol. Makes- that's what makes this doable and sustainable long-term, right? Because if you, I mean, you could just be like, you're just like, no more drinking, you know, for whatever, the next right. six months or a year. Or what I mean, just pick some arbitrary number, right? And like, cut back on this and cut back on that. And you could get to your goal, but then it would be no different than the other times where you right. just don't want to do that forever. So how do you do the things you want to do, which is to be able to have a glass of wine from time to time, have a beer from time to time, like enjoy and and relax and be with your family or your friends in that way and have it be something that works for you, you know, like something that you can continue on. So it's not causing weight gain and it allows you to stay where you want to be and doesn't create other problems for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I've gone extended periods with no alcohol before, you know, I've done a whole 30, I've done ideal protein. I went months with ideal protein with zero alcohol. So I know I could do it, but I know I don't want too long-term. Yeah, You know, and so I figured out, so what really works for me is I don't drink during the week. I don't drink at home without a a pre-plan. So I plan my alcohol if and when I want it. So if I want it because we are going camping or I want it because it's someone's birthday and I plan it, but I no longer do that. Oh, it's a rough day. I'm going to have a glass of wine to relax Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So I really, and even talking with my, my husband about it and, you know, it's, it's been really zero problem. So I don't want to drink out of habit and I don't want to drink alcohol out of using it as a way to relax or unwind. It really is more of a celebratory thing and I get to pick and choose when I want to celebrate with it. And that's been really empowering. It, I don't yeah, have well, to then, give it Then you're in control, right? You're yes, in control exactly. of it then, right? You're not like, oh, I can't deal with my life if I don't have a drink, right? Like <laughs> I need alcohol to help me deal with my life and not like, oh, I'm out of control when I'm around it, right? It's just like, I totally can have this when I want to and I like my reasons and that's exactly what you're doing here. And society really embraces that whole using it to calm your life or soothe your... I mean, how many memes have, especially during COVID, you know, have a glass of wine or it's, it's wine time o'clock, or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Wow, we could talk a long time, Linda. <laughs> talk about a lot of good stuff. Well, you know, if you if you could talk to you, <laughs> who was you know like listening to the podcast beforehand, and everything, or someone who's similar to where you were, what message would you have for them? Like, what would you tell them? Who's you know so this person who's struggling? Who's a doctor? Who's like I don't even know. I need some help. I got to get my life together. I got to sort myself out. What message would you have for her? I think one of my favorite things, and I write it in my bullet journal every week, is it's all figure outable. I think you told you said that or use that. And uh, that's not me. That's a Marie Forleo quote that I love to use. Okay, that's great. Everything's figure outable. That's right. And so, you know, don't be in a hurry to try to lose the weight because, I mean, in general, I'm going to assume that most people, you know, doing your program have tried all the other stuff and probably have lost weight on many different Mm -hmm. diets along the way and many different weight loss plans, but really just the realization that it's really all in our thoughts and it's how we approach our thoughts and handle our thoughts. And, you know, whether you're talking about the weight loss, the relationships, 
it's all our thoughts and learning how to work on that and how successful you can be when you get that in check. Yeah. And and you get to define what you mean by success. Totally. Totally. And you know, cause here's the thing too, like, you know, I feel like I talk about this all the time, but I feel like I could, I should always say it again and again, because people are always so confused. Like, I don't care what you weigh, right? Like I can right. give you a suggestion, but if you're at a weight where you are totally happy and you're managing your mind and you're, you know, like just everything is the way you want it to be. Like I am all in for that. Right. I just know that most of us sell ourselves short and believe we can't accomplish more. And that's why I'm like, well, before we start believing that, let's just create <laughs> something else. And then from there we can decide, right? Because you might lose, you know, a little bit more weight and then go, you know what? That military weight, that's my sweet spot. That's where I like to be. When I do that, when I'm aiming for that, I'm able to have, you know, the alcohol that I want to have when I, you know, or sweets or whatever, when I want to have them and it's easy and it's comfortable and it's great. But then, you know, you're choosing this number, not thinking that you're limited. Like, you know, anything lower is not possible for you. Yeah. And it's interesting looking back at my goals at different points, because initially I picked a number even 15 pounds above my military weight. So I think I picked a number that would have been losing about 35 pounds because I knew I could do that. I had zero doubt I could lose to that weight because I've successfully lost down to that weight fairly easily. Then I set it as my military weight, which is at the normal BMI range, but at the top end. And then I think it was what, month five or month six of Waldo that you spring on us that that's the, the goal of our mid-range BMI, working through that thought. And really, and I, for the longest time, I didn't believe that was even possible. And so I would pull it out and I would work on those thoughts and then I would put it away again for a while and pull it back out. And, uh, you know, I have zero doubt now that I can get there. Melinda, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your whole story with everybody and just your whole experience. I know it's going to help so many people. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. I really appreciate being asked and, and chatting with you. Did you know that you can find a lot more help from me on my website? Go to katrinaubelmd.com and click on free resources. 